0: Thank you guys so much for coming. I am really excited about tonight, and I hope that you learn some things about uh, how to share the gospel that maybe you've never learned before. Uh, I want to introduce you guys to my friend Alan Campbell. Um, some of you have already been acquainted with him today, but uh, why don't you go ahead and come on up. And um, So, I, yeah, there you go. Um, so, uh, Alan, do you want to just like tell a little bit about yourself real quick?
1: Yes, yeah, so my name is Alan Campbell, and I'm originally from Northern Ireland. I was brought up in a atheist home. I was a professing atheist until I was um, 17 and a half, 18 years old, and I became a Christian. So I basically stopped suppressing the truth and believed what I already knew was true. Um, and I, so I became a Christian when I was 18, and now one of my ministries, one of the things I'm involved in is, is helping the postmodern world see the absurdity of their argument, and I really enjoy doing it, um, but hopefully for the right reasons, and I really hope to teach that this evening. I hope it will be a blessing to you. So again, thanks so much for having me. So far, being in Oklahoma has been okay. So is that, is that, does that work? Does that work? Okay, thank you.
0: Thank you. Okay, so uh, I'm hopefully not going to take up too much of your time, um, but before uh, Alan talks about sort of what he does, he mentioned that just demonstrating the absurdity of the atheist worldview. That's that's sort of how we have gone about sharing the gospel in the UK, and that's uh, what he's going to be teaching us tonight. But uh, first, before we do that, I wanted to go ahead and talk just briefly about what is the gospel. Since we're here talking about evangelism, um, and I know that for, I recognize almost everybody in here, so this will be review, so I'm going to go quickly, but just want to talk about what the gospel is. So, uh, we're going to talk about how to present the gospel simply and clearly, because if we don't have a simple, clear gospel, then the things that Alan talks about are going to be irrelevant. So, before we can go out there and actually speak to people about the, the absurdity of their worldview, we need to know what our message is, all right? So, let's talk about it real quick. Um, and basically, we're just going to talk about the message, the offer and the response. So this is an easy way for you to remember how to share the gospel. It breaks down into three parts: the message, the offer and the response. So the message is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, we see in First 1 Corinthians 15,3 and four, "I delivered to you first importance that which I also received that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So we see the death and the resurrection. Um, And really, that's the message. So Jesus died to pay for sin, and he rose to conquer death. Okay? And so now we have the message of the gospel. And next, um, well, okay, so we see that the wages of sin is death, and that's why he died. And then we see that uh, he rose to conquer death, and in the resurrection, death loses its sting. Um, all right, so the offer, obviously, is eternal life. Um, and that seems simple, but sometimes we forget that that's the thing that Jesus is offering. So, um, John ten twenty eight says, "I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and nothing can snatch them out of my hand." So, uh, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Um, and then John three sixteen, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Um, and for some reason, each of these verses is coming up twice, so I have to click twice. Um, John five twenty four, truly, truly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. So. Um, and then Romans six twenty three, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. So that's the offer. Um, Jesus offers eternal life as a free gift. So the message is the death and resurrection. The offer is eternal life, and the response is faith in Christ as Savior. All right. So um, faith in Christ as Savior. John eleven twenty five through twenty seven. This is Jesus' conversation with Martha. Uh, he's talking to her and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who, believes in, who lives and believes in me will never die. And then he asks her, do you believe this? And she says, yes, I believe. I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. So the question is, do you believe this? And the answer is, yes, I believe. So the response is belief or faith. Um, another verse, Acts 16, 29 through 31, if, if we see a verse when someone asks, how can I be saved? Then that's a verse we should pay attention to, right? So here, uh, the Philippian jailer is, uh, has just been, uh, seeing these miracles of God in the, in the jail. And so trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And the answer is, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. This doesn't mean that if you believe, your household will be saved, but it means if you believe, you'll be saved, and if your household believes, they'll be saved. All right, so um, they ask the question, What must they do to be saved? And the answer is believe. Next, uh, we see Romans 4, 5, The one who does not work, but believes in him who sent me, um, uh, believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. So that's uh, belief. Um, so believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life. That's the response. All right, so the message is that Jesus died to pay for sin and he rose to conquer death. The offer, Jesus offers eternal life as a free gift and the response is believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life. So I just want to real quickly uh, review, it's the message, it's the offer um, and it's the response. So Jesus died to pay for sin, he rose to conquer death and he offers eternal life to all who believe. If you can think of the gospel in this way as the message, the offer and the response, then if you're like me, when you're sharing the gospel, you probably get nervous, yes? Yes? Do we get nervous when we share the gospel? I know I do. All right. And so as soon as I start having an actual gospel conversation with somebody, I I start to, my, my mind gets kind of fuzzy, right? And so then all of a sudden what was clear in my mind before the conversation gets jumbled up. Does that make sense? And so if we can remember a clear, easy way to think of the gospel, that doesn't mean that you have to say it so rote and so it has to be this way, right? But what it means is that when you can think of it clearly in your head ahead of time, then hopefully you'll be able to present it clearly in the moment. So uh, what I've always heard said is if it's cloudy up here, it'll be rainy down here, all right? So we want to keep it clear up here so that by God's grace, they'll, they'll hear the gospel. So um, I wanted real quickly to say, when does eternal life begin? Just as we're sharing the gospel with people, sometimes this gets confused. And so John 5, 24 says um, that the moment you believe in Christ, you receive eternal life. It says, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. It's present tense. And they have passed from death to life. So they have at that moment, and they've already passed from death to life. Okay? And if it's eternal, that means you can't lose it. Um, Real quickly, I want to just ask the question, what is not the gospel? Um, and this is also important because sometimes when we go out and we do evangelism, we get caught up in the Christianese where there, we use words that we just hear growing up all our lives and we don't think about what they mean. And so uh, I want to just caution us against using words that um, may or may not be biblical and, and, and may lead someone to, to think something different than what the gospel actually is. So um, this is the importance of using biblical language. The, the first thing, are some not-messages, uh, uh, I guess I got caught off. So the not message, some people say, well, Jesus came to the world to be a good man. He came to be a good example, to heal and serve the poor, and to show us his love. And, and those things are true. He was a good example. He did heal, he did serve the poor, and he showed us his love, but that's not why he came, right? Um, he came to die and rise again. He came to pay for sin, and actually he shows us his love through his death. That's what Romans 5 eight tells us, okay? Um, well, what's a not offer? Some people say Jesus offers a better, easier life. Trust in Christ today, and it's three easy steps to a better life, right? Um, and has that been true for you guys? The moment I trusted Christ, man, life got easy. That's not for me, okay? And, and it wasn't for Paul either. So this is what Paul, how he describes his ministry. He says, "Behold, now is the acceptable time; now is the day of salvation. Giving no cause for offense in anything, so that the ministry will not be discredited." And then he describes his experiences in that ministry. He says, "In everything, committing ourselves to servants of God, in much endurance." In afflictions and hardships and distresses and beatings and imprisonments and tumults and labors and sleeplessness and hunger. This isn't a person who had all of their earthly problems dissolve overnight, but this is a person who had all of his spiritual problems dissolved where all of a sudden he went from death to life, okay? So uh, we're not offering a better life, we're offering eternal life. Does that make sense? All right, um, and then the not responses. Here's a fun one. Ask Jesus into your heart. This is just something we hear, right? And you grew up in church all your life, you hear it, um, unless you come here. Um, so, but this is something, it, it, the reason it's not a response is it's never even in the Bible. We never hear it in the Bible. It's not a response to the gospel. And as a kid, I actually thought that Jesus lived in my heart. I, I thought, like, I I prayed a prayer and then all of a sudden he was there and, and I was just like, man, where's Jesus? That's cool. Um, and, and it's not it's not exactly like that. He's not residing and never, you know. All right, so uh, it's not ask Jesus into your heart. and And this is important because, um, even if you mean the right thing when you say it, it's still the wrong words, okay? So in your head, you might be thinking, well, I'm, I'm just saying the same thing, but it's the wrong words. And so someone who never grew up in church, never heard these things before, they don't know what that means. And so we want to be clear. Here's another not response. Commit your life to Jesus. And, and here's the thing about this phrase. Um, if by commit your life to Jesus, you mean you're committing your eternal destiny to him? Maybe, okay? But, but, this message is unclear because it could potentially sound like what you're saying is that your commitment is what saves you. Like, I'm committing to live for Christ. I'm committing to do these things. I'm committing to be a better person. I'm committing my life to Him. And if, if that is what we're saying, then that's not, that's opposite of what the Bible teaches. And so, um, if, even if we say this thinking that we're being clear, someone could interpret that as being a works message, right? They could think, well, I, it's a commitment then to be saved. And it's not a commitment. It's the moment we trust Christ, we have eternal life. And so we want to be careful about the words we use. Another one is repent from your sin. Repent from your sin. Um, so the gospel of John, which is written so that the unbeliever might be saved, never once uses the word repent. So that's the first problem. If John doesn't use it in the book that says these things were written so that those who read it might find life, um, then, then we shouldn't be using the word repent either. And the other thing is that... Um, To the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, it's his faith that is credited as righteousness. So, the one who does not work. Um, An unbeliever cannot turn from sin, it's impossible. They don't have the Holy Spirit. And so, we don't want to go out there telling people, turn from your sin and believe. It's believe and then stop sinning. That's our message, okay? Um, So, then let's just review what is the gospel? It's Jesus died to pay for sin, he rose to conquer death, he offers eternal life to all who believe. If we can stick to this, if we can remember this, then we can be clear when we're presenting the message. So let's use clear biblical language in sharing the gospel. The Bible says believe in Christ, so should we, right? If the Bible says believe in Christ for eternal life, then let's use the same language. And when we do that, we can go out into this community presenting a clear gospel so that the things that we learn from Alan will be effective, all right? that's it. That's it for me. So I'm going to go ahead and invite Alan on up, and uh, he'll share with us how he does that.
1: Uh, Thank you, Tyler. Uh, Again, it's it's so lovely to be here with you all, and uh, thank you so much for having me. Uh, It's really an honor to come and be able to teach uh, brothers and sisters in Christ and to encourage one another as well. Um, And I'm really encouraged that people would come to an evangelism seminar because it's, it's, uh, it's scary out there, you know, I, I share the gospel all the time. It's one of my jobs, my, one of my responsibilities to do, um, but I still get nervous when I go out to do it. Uh, these guys came over, then I'm teaching them how to do it, and then I'm like, okay, let's pray, like, as we go out to do this, and I'm praying, even so come Lord Jesus, even so come Lord Jesus, like, take me now, <laughs> like, let the rapture come so I don't have to go out and share the gospel. So, because um, it's scary, it is scary out there, but... I'm hoping that this will be a time of equipping the, the saints of God to be able to engage the postmodern world. Um, as I've already explained, uh, England is now has entered into postmodernism, and postmodernism is basically, as Tara was explaining earlier to the young people, your truth is your truth, my truth is my truth. They contradict one another, but that's okay. You know, that's that's absolutely fine. Um, there's no, not necessarily any such thing as objective morality, objective truth. There's no absolutes. Um, and that's the world that we're living in in England, which is amazing because um, when you guys are quoting the old dead people in, in your sermons and your commentaries, they're all... There's English authors like Charles Spurgeon. Um, We sent out missionaries. You've heard of Hudson Taylor. You've heard of these great men and women of God who came out of England. Um, And England was a Christianity was in the air. It was in the ethos. It was all over. There was churches everywhere. Gospel preaching places. And now we're postmodern. Now churches are being bought by nightclubs and being, and being transformed into nightclubs. And on the front, it used to be like something-something um, Bible or Baptist or whatever church, and now it's nightclubs for sinners. And the, and the title is literally The Devil's Church. That's what's happening uh, in, in England. Um, so it's, it's, it's here, it's in postmodernism all across uh, the United Kingdom, sadly. And uh, it's coming to the States as well. It's in the States, and it's in this generation and I think that perhaps maybe you're a little bit behind in what we've got in Europe, but it's definitely coming. And so hopefully this time together will be able to equip you a little bit with this idea of what's coming into um, your generation and your culture. Uh, this is basically what I'm going to be looking at today is, is kind of, it's pre-evangelism. So before you share Tyler's message, or which is God's message, the gospel, um, before you share that... Uh, Tyler didn't make it up, which is good to know, because it's a beautiful message. Um, so before you go there with someone, maybe you have to do a few other things, a little bit more uh, groundwork before you get to this. Obviously, the Holy Spirit can take God's word and do whatever he wants with it. Um, and it, just a clear communication of the gospel can save someone. Um, but sometimes it could be helpful to really dig a little bit and hear where they're coming from and, and talk with them. So we're going to be talking about worldviews. And the idea that everyone has a worldview. And we're going to be looking at that and how to use someone's worldview to begin to talk to them about the gospel of Jesus Christ. So a worldview, very simply, is a way to view the world. All right. So I flew 17 hours to tell you a worldview is a way to view the world. All right? But that's, that's basically a worldview. Um, it's a belief system about who you are, what you are, where you are, when you are, and why you are. So the who, what, where, when, whys about you is essentially a worldview. Everyone has a worldview. Absolutely everyone in the world has a worldview. And everyone has answers to these questions. Everyone is answering these questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I? Where is this? They all have answers to these questions. If someone says to you, there are no answers to these questions, then they've just told you what the worldview is, okay? So everyone has a way that they view the world. Everyone has a system that they hold to and that they believe. And not everyone views it the same, and so not everyone views the world accurately. Now, every opinion that you have, every thought process that you have, every opinion that is yours comes from something. And basically, the way I've tried to explain this, which is why there's a paper bag, is, um, is you've basically, you imagine that you have a bag... And in that bag is every idea that you have about the world, every view you have of the world. And every idea is touching all the other ideas. The way you view morality, the way you view truth, the way you view the reality around you is basically, this is your worldview and it's all inside this bag. And so when you have an opinion about something, you basically put your hand in your bag and lift out your opinion. This is my opinion on this because it comes from my worldview. I asked the college ministry this morning, for example, Do Black Lives Matter? And that was a massive movement. It still is a pretty big movement in certain areas. Do Black Lives Matter? And your answer to that question comes from your worldview. That it comes from there. And what we're helping unbelievers to see is that when they say Black Lives Matter, they don't make any sense. Only Christians can say that. Only Christians can say that Black Lives Matter. And I want to help you understand how that's true and how that helps us engage the world around us. So, there's basically three um, ideas in a worldview. We're going to use big words, but I'm going to try and explain them a little bit. My, the reason I'm here is not to try and impress anybody with how intelligent I am. Hopefully you've heard through the accent that Irish people are not very intelligent. My aim is to equip people. So I think I'm going to press the button and things will work the opposite direction from what I intended. So that, that was totally terrible. That didn't work one bit. So did I turn it off or something or did it? So awesome, right? So that... That was amazing what happened there. It was incredible. So these are the three big ways. This is a worldview, right? This is you believe something about this. Everyone believes something about these things. So being, right? So I, I say that very funny. I can't actually say it the right way, but if you, you can see, that's why I spelled it out to be something, to being, okay? So that's the question of what is real, and it's the idea of metaphysics, okay? And this is the idea about actually you being here in the world. It's the study of reality. It concerns topics such as, is this all real? Are we actually, I mean, is this real, what you're Seeing right now, what you're listening to is your senses telling you the truth about what's happening in this moment. Um, who are you? Are you um, as a human being, what does that mean? Uh, are you actually here? What are you? Who are you? And again, philosophers call this metaphysics. It's massive. You're answering that question right now, and that is how you live your life. So based on the answer that you give to who are you is how you're going to live your life. Second of all, then, there's the idea of knowing. And this is the question of what is true and how can I know what truth is? How do I know what is actually true about the world? It's the study of knowledge and it concerns topics such as, is there such a thing as truth? What is truth and how can I know what is truth? And philosophers call this epistemology. Then there's number three, doing, and this is all about what is right. It's about the study of morality and ethics it concerns topics such as, is right and wrong absolute? Is it objective? Is there such a thing as value and worth? And how can we know what is right and wrong? So this is ethics. So basically, these three are, is your worldview. Um, whatever you answer about these three is the way you view the world. And uh, that's it. Everyone has answers to these questions. And if you can start to just really understand this, then we're going to be going somewhere um, this evening. If you've not followed so far, I'll try and do something a little bit later on. But these three, this is it. This is the worldview. And we're going to hopefully be able to use this to engage our culture. Now, every worldview needs to have a few things in order for it to be a legitimate way to see the world, okay? So we are going somewhere. I'm going to help you see how to use this. So far, it's theory. We're going to put some feet on it eventually. But I'm going to press this button and maybe something will happen. I went the wrong way and not the right way. Okay, so... So here's four things that a worldview has to have, okay? Now, you remember in the Gospels, Jesus Christ, as you're going to think you're talking about next Sunday, but Jesus Christ was talking about the two foundations, building on the rock and building on the sand. And this idea is, is that the Christian worldview has a foundation. And every worldview needs to have a foundation. In other words, every worldview has to have at the very bottom of it something that they believe before they believe in anything else. So something that is true before anything else is true. Something that is an objective reality before anything else can be held up as an objective reality as well. And right, this is known as the final reference point of predication. Now, you might never have to use that, okay? Maybe, maybe you'll never have to actually say that to someone, but that's what it's called. It's the final reference point of predication. The thing that you believe before you believe in anything else, okay? So what's the Christian reference point of predication? Well, we're gonna get to that, but the answer is, God. God is. That's it. That's what we believe before we believe in anything else. God is. What's the atheist role? What's the atheists one? Well, they don't actually have one. They don't have a a final reference point. There is no foundation in the atheist worldview. We're going to look at how that's a massive problem uh, for them. So we have a great because. We have a capital because And it's God. God is, and he has spoken, he has revealed himself to us through creation and then ultimately through the scriptures. Now, we have this, we have the foundation, and the alternative to having a a foundation, a because, is what you call the infinite regress. And that basically means that every time you say because, dot, 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 the person can come around and say to you, but why is that true? And then you say, because, dot, dot, dot. Now, maybe this happens to you, but when I was like seven years old, I was talking to my uncle, and my uncle said to me, Al, I'm just going to go to the shop. And I said, why? He says, I'm going to go get milk. I said, why? He says, because we've run out of milk. Why? Well, we ran out of milk because we used the milk. Why? Well, we used the milk because we wanted it for tea. Why? And he's like, Alan, you need to stop asking me why. So every time my uncle sees me now, he's, he starts asking me questions, and I'll be like, yeah, I'm doing it. He's like, why? Why? And he just starts doing that. That's the idea is that you can you always just keep going back. And the problem with that is if you keep saying why, is there's no finish, there's no end. And you can never actually know if there's a bottom to this because it just keeps going why, 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 why. So it's called an infinite regress, and the philosophers agree that no one wants to have infinite regress, okay? So no one wants, everyone wants to have an objective standard at the very bottom. No one wants to have a a because that just keeps going on, okay? So that's the first one, that every worldview that's legitimate needs to have a solid foundation. Number two, every worldview needs to have a meaningful explanation of the things that we've looked at so far. That is, they need to be able to explain what is real. They need to be able to explain what is true and they need to be able to explain what is good and how we can know those things. So every worldview has to be able to say, this is what is real, this is what is true, and this is what is right, and this is how we know that. And if it, doesn't, if it isn't able to answer those questions, then it's not a legitimate worldview. It's a worldview that needs to be, to be thrown out. Okay? Number three, then, every worldview is not allowed to be arbitrary. And arbitrary is when someone says, for example, we're we're going through the Black Lives Matter one. So Black Lives Matter, and then someone says, "Well, why do Black Lives Matter?" And the answer is, "Well, they just do." See, that's arbitrary. There needs to be a reason. There needs to be an answer to this. That the reason why this is essentially a truth claim. Okay. So if you just say if your worldview is just because, then you're in a a bad place. You don't want to be in a just-because worldview. And that's being arbitrary. It's not having an actual answer. And then number four, you're not allowed to be inconsistent. So you can't have one truth that conflicts with another truth, or one thing that's right that conflicts with another thing that's right. You can't have a confliction in your worldview. So there needs to be a straightforward foundation. And there needs to be a legitimate reason for everything that you're saying, and it's not allowed to contradict. Very simply, these are the four things that a worldview has to have. Now, again, we're going to build on this. I'm just kind of laying some uh, foundation for you at the moment. So the question then the next is, what is the Christian worldview? And uh, we're going to go to Colossians 1, 16 to 17. And you're going to see that actually right there in just two, past, two verses of Scripture are the three things about the worldview just right there for you. So Colossians 1, 16 to 17, and we'll see here that it answers the question about um, why we're here, who we are, who, who made this place. It answers everything for us. So Colossians 1, verse 16 to 17. So this is the uh, Christian worldview, Colossians 1, 16 to 17. For by him, that's Jesus Christ, all things were created. So what is, what is real? Well, the world's real because Christ Made the world, this is, this is the world that we're living in. How do we get here? Christ put us here. Why are we here? Well, that's going to come in just a little bit. So, for by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether they're thrones or dominions, rulers, authorities, all things have been created through him. Okay? So, how do we get here? Because he put us here. God, right? So, the answer is God. So, then, why are we here? Well, that's answered as well. What's the next words say here? So all things were created through him and for him. So that's our purpose. Our purpose is answered right here. So the the whole worldview is coming together. And the reason we continue to exist, it says in verse 17, he is before all things and in him all things are hold together or in hebrews he holds everything together by the power of his word so everything has been held together through jesus christ so why are we here how are we here when are we here is answered in scripture so the christian worldview is essentially this god is and he has spoken it's as basic as this you've know you know this chorus jesus loves me this i know for the bible told me so that's the christian worldview now i've always been told that when you're teaching children and you ask a question, and the answer is Jesus, it's a terrible question, because every kid just says Jesus, right? So you ask them anything, and the answer will be, is it Jesus? And you're like, yeah, how did you know that? It's like, because that's always the answer to the question, right? But when it comes to the Christian worldview, that actually is the answer, Jesus. The Christian worldview is God created us for his glory, and that's the answer to, to everything that we have. So C.S. Lewis says it like this. C.S. Lewis says, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Okay, that is the sunshine, not Jesus Christ, the sun. Not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. So Christianity makes sense of the world that I'm living in. Francis Schaefer says this the only sufficient answer to the world is this God is there and he is not silent. He has spoken to man in the Bible. God is, and he has spoken, is the Christian worldview. That's what we believe about the world that we're living in. So being, being, knowing, and doing. So the first one was being. The Christian answer to reality and being is that the eternal triune God created the universe, created everything in the universe, and created human beings in his image. Colossians 1 tells us who created us, And why we were created. The Christian worldview tells us that we are because God wanted it to be so. And that we were created for his glory. So that's the Christian worldview to being, we are image of God. We're image of God. So do black lives matter in the Christian worldview? Yes. Why? Because they're image of God. And if if there's no God, black lives don't matter. If there's no God, white lives don't matter. If there's no God, life does not matter. But the fact there's a God means that life matters and every human being was created in the image of God. All right, so being in the Christian worldview is God made us, and he made us for his glory, and he made us in his image. Then number two is knowing. The Christian answer to knowledge and the truth is that the all-knowing, true, orderly God has created this universe. He is the ultimate mathematician, he is the ultimate philosopher, the ultimate scientist, the ultimate engineer. Etc., he knows all there is to know, and all that we know is derived from him. We receive that from him. So, all we know about creation, all we know about him, is because he's revealed himself to us. So, basically, we're just thinking God's thoughts after him, we're exploring his handiwork, we're exploring who he is in all of his glory. Okay, so that's the answer to knowing, and then doing basically morality and ethics. The Christian answer to good and to value is that the kind, holy, objective God created this universe. His will is ultimate. He made human beings in his image. And because of that, each of us has value, dignity, and worth. He is the ultimate artist and therefore everything has beauty because he has placed beauty in the world. So that's the Christian answer. The Christian answer to the worldview situation is, God is, and God has spoken. And here's the thing, right? That's what you believe, and as a professing atheist, that's what I believe too, as a professing atheist. And that's what every human being on this planet knows to be true. God is, and God has spoken. Richard Dawkins, Stephen Fry, all the big popular atheists in the world, they know God is, and they know that he has spoken. And we're going to hopefully show you that as we build this case. So, my argument is this. My argument with unbelievers is, this is my worldview. God is and he has spoken. You show me a better one. You show me one that, that gives you a, a good foundation, that gives a good account of everything that you're saying to be true, that explains reality, explains morality, explains truth, and actually makes sense of the world without being inconsistent. And you know what? They can't give you one. They can't. And we're going to Look at how that becomes a very good and helpful conversation for them. So my argument is that the Christian worldview is the valid worldview. And it's the only valid worldview. Basically this, you have Jesus Christ or you have absurdity. That's your alternative. That's your choice. Do you want Jesus or would you like to be absurd? What would you like? That's my, That's the way we go with these questions. So let's look at the, the alternative to Uh, to to God being real. So let's look at the idea that there's no God and um, see where that takes us. So people call it nihilism or nihilism, whatever you like to call it, that's fine by me. Um, You can have aluminum, we'll have aluminum, stuff like that. So it teaches that there's no meaning in this world. There is no absolute and there's no reality. The one truth in nihilism, nihilism, is that there is no truth. The meaning of life is that there is no meaning of life. This worldview does not have a bottom because it teaches that there is no bottom at all. There's just chaos, and we happen to be living in this chaos, or at least we think we're here because we're not even sure about that either. The problem with this worldview is that when you take it into the real world, it collides with the real world okay? They don't go together. This is the type of conversation you can have in a classroom. I was sharing a similar message to this with an atheist group. So um, an atheist convention invited me to come and be the speaker. Um, so I didn't know if that was good or not. Like, I was such a bad Christian that they thought I would come along. Um, but I, I shared this, this basic, this type of material, and one of the young men was, a, was a studying philosophy at university, and he said, I believed in nihilism until you showed me that it doesn't make sense when you take it to the streets, It doesn't make sense in the real world. It sounds good in the classroom, right? There's no such thing as absolute morality. There's no such thing as objective truth. But then you take it into the real world and it collides with it. It doesn't make any sense. It contradicts the world that we're living in. So again, the problem with this worldview is that it doesn't work in the real world because God created the real world. God created this world that we're living in. And so of course it doesn't work in this world. The one that you're reading, or the, the one that you're listening to this message in, is the one that God made. The real world declares that there's absolutes everywhere that you turn. There are absolute laws of mathematics, logic, and science. There's absolute morality, and that's the world that we are living in. So let's look at some examples. You remember Harambi, Harambi the gorilla? Anyone remember Harambi got shot? And uh, we had a moment silence this morning over Harambi, the gorilla who was shot dead, right? So Harambe was shot, and three years ago, it was three years ago actually, I don't know when, but it was three years ago, Um, maybe we should all stand for a moment's silence, because maybe it was today, I don't know. But he took a bullet for a kid, um, and the world went absolutely wild. Everyone had an opinion about Harambi. Remember, like, there was arguments. People were actually arguing on online. People were getting angry with each other. Harambi should not have been shot. That three-year-old kid, he just should have been left there with the gorilla. Or, you know, they did the right thing. There's this, this massive debate taking place of whether or not it was okay to rescue a child from a gorilla. And it was a crazy conversation that was taking place. Crazy things were happening here. Similarly, a dentist. If you remember, uh, I think it was two years ago. A dentist. Shot a lion, okay, and he put it on Facebook, and him and his and his lion, and again the world went wild, absolutely wild, about this idea that a man would shoot uh, a lion. Cecil was her name, the lion. And then this year, as we were sharing this morning, a man stole 500 turtle eggs in Florida, and again the world went absolutely wild. Like, how dare he steal a turtle egg? Right? How dare he steal Donatello's children? Okay, so. If your moral views of Cecil, Harambe, and Donatello's children don't have a solid framework or a solid foundation, then your opinion of these events don't make any sense. Okay? So if you don't have objective morality, then what happened to Harambe just happened. You can't actually say it was right or wrong. You can't actually say it was good or bad. It just, it just took place. You don't actually get to have an opinion. But everyone had an opinion. So here's the thing, right? People are saying there's no such thing as objective morality, but then everyone has an opinion about what happened to Harambe. So you see how the world's colliding with their, their views? That doesn't make any sense. If there's no such thing as objective morality, then when Harambe got shot, we should all just have been like, okay, that happened. And you don't get to have an opinion. If you say there's no such thing as objective morality, you do not get to have an opinion. But no one lives like that's true. Everyone lives like there is such a thing as objective morality. And you have to basically explain where you get your objective morality from, okay? So here's, here's something that Richard Dawkins says. I want you to sh- I help you understand that what they're saying doesn't make any sense. And they're actually completely contradicting each other all the time. And what they're basically doing is they're trying to juggle this idea of having no God, but having morality at the same time. So listen to the words of Richard Dawkins, okay? So Richard Dawkins says this. He says, there is at the bottom of all of this, this whole universe, no design. Okay? So Richard Dawkins says there's no design. There's no purpose. There's no evil. There's no good. There is nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. Okay? So Richard Dawkins, let me just say it again. He says there is at the bottom of all of this, no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. So that's what he says he believes about the world. Okay? but I want to show you that Richard Dawkins does not believe what he just said because this is what he says in another place. He says this about God, okay? And actually, everything he says here is on my side. It's on your side. You think that what he's about to say, what I'm about to read here, you're thinking, that's disgusting he would say that. But what he's about to say proves that he believes in objective morality, okay? Here's what he says. So bear in mind, he's just told you that he believes there's no such thing as good or evil. Now listen to this. The God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in fiction. He is jealous, and he's proud of it. He is a petty, unjust, unforgiving, control freak. He is a vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser. He is a misogynist, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, filicidal, pestilential, megalomaniacal. I can't even say that, salamatistic, capriciously malevolent bully. So Richard Dawkins on this side of the coin says there's no such thing as objective evil. And on this side he says, but God is evil. You see the problem here? You see what just happened? There's no such thing as good or bad, but God is not good, he's bad. Well, sorry, Richard, you just need to slow down here a little bit. You've confused me because you told me there's no such thing as evil, and now you're telling me that God is evil. So according to what standard is God evil if there's no such thing as evil? So basically what he's trying to do is he's trying to have his cake and eat it. You know that expression? He wants his cake and he wants to eat it. It doesn't make any sense. And your job is not to sit there and prove to Richard Dawkins that God is good. Your job is to prove that Richard Dawkins hates God and he knows God is real. That's what our responsibility is. If you ever get to talk to Richard Dawkins, by the way, if you ever have a wee chat with him, that would be your responsibility. Okay? So the only way that Dawkins can make this claim when he has a no absolute morality worldview is that he takes his hand and sticks it into someone else's bag. And my argument is this. Richard Dawkins says that he has this bag, and this bag is his worldview. And in his worldview, there's no absolute morality. But when he makes everything that comes out of his mouth, he's basically stealing from our bag to say it. He's like, when we're not looking, he's like, let me just take some of your absolute morality here. And then he pretends he's holding his bag. And he's like, there's no, that God is evil. God is evil. I'm like, But you, you can't say that because you, you don't have morality in your bag. You say there's no such thing. You can't make these claims that you're making. If there is no good or evil then the things that he told about God are not good or evil. If there's no such thing as good or evil, as he says, then being a vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser is fine. If that's what you want to do, then do it. And no one can judge you because there's no standard with which to judge. But the fact that Richard Dawkins says this means that Richard Dawkins is living in a world, and he knows he's living in a world that has objective morality. Do you see what's happening here? You see that this is the situation. So he makes this claim, and and my argument is Richard Dawkins knows what he's doing. He knows there's a God, but he hates the God he knows is true. So it's not that he doesn't believe, it's that he hates the God he knows is true. So I want to help you understand that unbelief is not about the lack of evidence, okay? So speaking as, a, as someone who was an atheist in the past or a professing atheist, it's not about the lack of evidence. You see, you can go to someone who's a professing atheist all day long and, and like get a big cannon and fill it with evidence and shoot it at him, and he'll still say, not enough evidence, mate. All right? So you, you can give him evidence all day long. It's not about the lack of evidence, and I want to prove that to you here, okay? So let me, let me help you understand what's, what's going on here. The nation of Israel, okay, the nation of Israel has experienced miracle after miracle, okay? They watched as the Egyptians received 10 plagues from God, all right? Massive miracles taking place. I mean, they're walking around in the daytime and they look across the road and it's pitch black, they're like, wow, that's, that's a miracle right there, right? That's pretty big stuff, okay? They walk through dry land and the walls of the sea, and they're like a, basically a living aquarium with no glass. is just taking place. They're just like, oh, that's pretty sweet. That's nice. I like this. And they're enjoying God's creation. They're following a pillar of cloud and fire, right? A massive pillar just like walking around following this thing. Bread is falling from the heavens, Anyone ever had that happen to them? I never had bread falling from heaven. But there's bread falling from heaven. Quail falling from heaven. Water coming from a rock. Miracle after miracle taking place in the nation of Israel. And yet Psalm 95 describes that generation as a generation of unbelief. High on earth. How on earth can you see all of these miracles, all of this evidence of God's power, of God's presence, of God's goodness to them, and be a generation of unbelief? Because it's not about the evidence. It's about the heart that sees the evidence. You see that? It's the heart that experiences the evidence. It's not about the evidence. It's the heart that sees it. Similarly, Christ Jesus walks on the earth, performs miracle after miracle. He makes the blind see, the deaf hear, the leper clean, the lame walk, the dead live, the empty fool, the storms calm, the demons flee, the water whine, and the sea walkable. And yet with all of this evidence, staring them in the face, the generation hardens their hearts against him and cry for him to be crucified. How on earth can you see all of these miracles? Witness what God is doing and say, crucify this man. Because it's not about the evidence; it's about the heart that receives the evidence. Okay? It's not about there being evidence or not being evidence. It's about the heart that is receiving this evidence, and I want to help you see that uh, from the scriptures. So, if you'll turn with me once again to Romans, or we'll, we'll leave Romans for now because we're going to go back to it, but turn to John first of all. So, John three, verse nineteen to twenty-one, and uh, just after the beautiful pronouncement of the gospel, John three sixteen. Uh, there's this commentary to John 3, 19 to 21. It says this, this is the judgment that the light has come into the world. So this is the judgment. Light has come, but man loved the darkness rather than the light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. So the light has come, and man didn't say, oh, sorry, there's just not enough evidence. Man hated the light that was there, okay? So then in in 2 Thessalonians, we'll not go there, but in 2 Thessalonians, it basically says, God is going to pour out his wrath upon those who denied the truth. Why did they deny the truth? Because they loved the pleasures of sin. All right? They love the pleasures of sin, which made them deny the truth. So let's build an argument then from Romans chapter 1. And then we're going to help, hopefully, spend some time to finish off looking at how to then speak, share these sort of things with the world around us. So Romans chapter 1, and uh, building an argument here from verse 18 onwards. And We're just going to quickly go through these different things. So Romans 1 is teaching us that the people of the world are suppressing the truth of God's existence. They know God is real, but they hate him, okay? So Romans 1 shows us this. So Romans 1, 18 again says, God's wrath is revealed from heaven. It's revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who are doing what? They're suppressing the truth. And to suppress the truth means that you know it's there, but you're actively forcing it down. You're actively pushing it away from you. So it's not lack of evidence, it's I know this is true, I don't want it to be true though. And they're pushing it away from them, they're suppressing the truth in unrighteousness, which basically means because they love their sins. Verse 19 says that they know God is there, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God has made it evident to them, so they know he's there. God has revealed himself to these people. Verse 20, the things of God are clearly seen. His invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen and clearly understood so that those who deny him are without excuse. So is there lack of evidence? Absolutely not. These verses are saying God has poured out his evidence, but men are still rejecting it because of their love of their sins. Verse 21 says that they knew God but they rejected him. For even though they knew him, they knew God, they did not honor him as God, nor did they give thanks to him. And so their hearts became dark. Verse 22 to 25 says that people began to willingly worship anything else instead of worshiping the God they knew existed. Verse 26 to 28 begins to teach us that they loved sin so much that they didn't want to keep God in their thoughts, and so they began to push him out so they could pursue their sins instead. Verse 29 to 32 tells us that people willingly, willingly fill their life with every evil thought and deed, and they celebrate others who do, even though they know it's rebellion and they know God's going to judge them. So look at verse 32 of Romans chapter one. Although they know, they know the ordinance of God. So they know these things. And the Bible tells me here in Romans one that they know God exists, that they know they're sinning against him, and they know there's punishment for that. So when they tell me I don't believe God exists, and the Bible tells me that they do believe God exists, who should I believe? Right? Let God be true and every man a liar. God told me that they believe it, so, they, so it's true, even though they say otherwise. So here's the real problem. People love sin. We love it so much that we're willing to neglect the truth that we know exists. We're willing to deny the creator and deny anything that gets in the way of our sin. We don't want God in our minds because we know we're rebelling against him. And we know we're going to face judgment because of that. But our love of sin, our fear of judgment, and our hatred for God compels us to blind ourselves to what we know is true or to suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So this means... We would rather live in a world of make-believe than in the truth that we know is really out there, that God is, and that he has spoken. So to finish then, let's look at how we can actually have this type of conversation with someone because it's quite hard to walk up to someone and say, do you believe in God? And they say no, and you're like, yes, you do. The Bible says you do. So that's kind of a, that's really not how to win people over, right? So you want to be winsome about this. So here's how we go this direction. Jesus does this in Luke 13. Luke 13, one to five, Christ just basically has conversations about what's happening in the world around them, and then he begins to bring spiritual truths to that. So uh, what you want to do, what I want you to do right now is think about some things that have happened on the news locally that are big things to talk about. So locally, as in like Stillwater or Oklahoma. So for example, in Sunderland, where I live, um, a man was stabbed recently, Okay. So that's the sort of thing I'm thinking about. So, so a fellow, he's a boxer, 18 years old boxer, and uh, he was out on Friday night a couple, couple of weeks back, and someone stabbed him, and he's dead. Okay? So that's big news. Everyone in my city is talking about this, okay? that this guy got stabbed. There's been moments of silence at the football stadium. Everything's you know, it's, it's up in the air. Everyone's talking about it. Okay, So think about some local events that have taken place uh, in the news that everyone's talking about. Then think about some national ones. So for me... I'm living in Britain right now, and so everyone's talking about Brexit. Everyone's talking about these different things. And you have other things like the Mexican wall. We'll not talk about that sort of thing, but you know that's happened. That's the thing that's being talked about. All these different things are being spoken about. Then you have international events as well. Lots of things that are happening across the world. The war is taking place in the East. All of these things that everyone's filling their conversations with all the time. Everyone's talking about these things all the time and everyone has an opinion about these experiences so here's what I want to help you uh, see what you can be doing as you talk to someone so this is what we do this is what I do and I hope you'll see where I'm going with this so I basically, let's, let me give you the example. So recently this young man was stabbed in Sunderland, stabbed to death. Tragic. Like I believe it's a tragedy because I'm a Christian living in God's world and he was made in the image of God. So it's tragedy, right? So the Christian world should weep when a, when a young man is stabbed to death and his, his life is cut off. We should feel that more than anybody else, okay? So in the cafe, I'll ask someone or out in the streets or something, like I'll ask someone, man, did you hear about that young man getting stabbed the other day? And they'll say, yeah. And, what, and I, if I said to them, what do you think about that? What, was, what are they likely to say? That's terrible, right? That's tragic. That's a horrible thing to happen, okay? So then, in a very nice way, you basically say, I agree. Like, yeah, it's absolutely terrible. What do you think makes it so terrible? Why do you think that's terrible that that happened? And it, it's getting them to talk, so you have to learn to be a listener rather than a talker, which is hard for me, but you have to li- learn to listen to people. And they'll give you their reason why it's terrible. Now, the reason is going to boil down to three things, okay? So think with me here. Here's what's going to be terrible. It's going to be terrible that an innocent life was snatched away, right? That's terrible. An innocent life was snatched away. So when someone says about an innocent life, what are they talking about when they say the word innocent? They're talking about morality. They're talking about ethics. They're talking about good and bad. So, you're like, so when you say innocent, like, what do you mean by innocent? Do you mean like, Like, do you believe, like, that there's such a thing as good or bad? And they'll be like, yeah, yeah, of course there's such a thing as good or bad. And you basically say... Well, where do you get that from? Like, where do you get your idea of good or bad from? And you're having a conversation with someone, and you're already in. So this is just how do you get into a conversation with someone that begins to strike their interest? And you work your way through that scenario. Another thing they're going to say is that it's a disgusting thing that someone would would do such a thing as that. So it's horrible that someone, was their life was snatched away, but the other reason it's so bad is because someone would do such an act so again, they're making a moral claim here that it's such a terrible thing that someone would do something like that. And again, you can just simply ask, why is it so terrible to take human life? Why is that terrible? Why do you think it's so terrible to take human life? And they'll, they'll come up with all the answers and then you can give your answer too. And we'll get to that in, in just a little moment as well. So... What I tend to do, this is weird. I don't recommend you do this, and Tyler maybe has told you about this, but this is what I do. It works for me. Maybe it doesn't work for everybody. And if you have a nervous disposition, don't use this at all because it looks even weird. But I ask people, and I'll probably be doing this during the week as well, I'll ask people, so you know, I'm from Northern Ireland. I'm just interested in, 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 in morality and views and what people believe in different cultures and stuff like that. So do you mind if I ask you a few questions? And I'll be like, yeah, absolutely, that's fine. And then I'll say, so when do you think it's socially acceptable to eat a human baby? When do you think that's okay? And of course, everyone's like, what? And I have to explain that I don't think it's okay, so they don't run away from me. Um, but I'm, I'm asking a really ludicrous question, because everyone thinks it's wrong to eat a human baby, okay? I mean, they should, right? That's the, I mean, hopefully everyone thinks that. And so they're going to start, start giving you reasons why that's wrong, okay? And sometimes I actually have my friend's baby, when I'm, I'm like, isn't it beautiful? And they're like, yeah, I'm like... Do you think it be okay to eat? If we're, like if we were hungry, would this be all right? The BBB's bee bee like. <laughs> so when is it okay to do this? And you're you're trying to help them begin to explore what they believe about the world. Okay, so here's where I go with this. They'll say it's wrong because it's cannibalism, and I'm like, okay, so why is cannibalism wrong? Why would that be wrong? And here's most of the time, this is what they say: it just is. It's just wrong. And you're like, okay but it can't, just, it can't just be wrong. There has to be a reason why it's wrong to do this. You can't just say just because. We can't just make up the rules as we go along. It's either right or wrong. Why is it wrong? And they'll start giving reasons. Well, society says it's wrong. Okay, so if society says it's wrong, what happens if society turns around and says, actually, babies on the menu now. Isn't I okay to eat human babies? And everyone's like, no, I still wouldn't do it. It's still wrong. It's still terrible. It's disgusting. Like, well, why, the, why is it wrong to do this? And here's what happens, right? Here's, here's all, every, 100% of the time, this is what happens. At the end of it, they're like, I don't know, but it's just wrong. Okay, that's where they come to, usually, all right? So then this is where you come in with your Christian world, your objective Christian world view. You just simply say this, after having talked to them and, and hearing from them and letting them be the speaker, you just simply say, do you mind if I share with you why I believe it's wrong? Can I give you my opinion? And of course, they're intrigued because they really want to know why you think it's wrong to eat a human BBI, die since they don't have an answer. And then you just simply say this, because God created the world and God created us in his image and God tells us what's right and wrong and they're like, I don't believe in God and you're like, well, so you have just because I have, God is and God has spoken, what do you think of that? And usually every single time they're like, yeah, it makes a lot of sense Uh, and I would say to them I'm not asking you to believe this I'm asking you, does it make sense of the world that you're living in? And 100% of the time, they'll turn around and say, it makes sense of the world that we're living in. Isn't that amazing? Atheists looking at a Christian saying, what you're saying makes sense. And, then, and what I said didn't. <laughs> right? Like, okay, so now we're getting somewhere. So then what we basically do, and by this point you, you've struck their interest, their interest in what you're saying, so then we go along this line. I, I, you basically ask now, Can I share with you, just for a few moments, can I briefly talk to you about why it is that you would not believe this? Why it is that even though you know it makes sense of the world we're living in, you don't want to believe it. And they're they're interested because you're making things interesting for them. And so they'll say, yeah, okay, yeah, tell me why then. And here's what I go, this is every time this is where I go. Because you love your sin. And because you love your sin so much and you know that it's wrong and you know God is real, and you know there's consequences for your sin, but you don't want to face the reality of it. And so you'd rather live a lie and live in a world that doesn't make sense rather than come to the knowledge of the truth of Jesus Christ. And then I, I asked the question again, does that make sense to you? I don't ask, do you believe I ask, does that make sense to you? And every single time I've asked that question, they've said, yeah, that makes sense. So I, I've had atheists, atheists saying, what you say about the world makes sense, and what you say about my love of sin and my hate of God makes sense. What? So you're getting atheists telling me that my Christian worldview makes more sense than the worldview that they're living in. So then you share the gospel. Then you come to the gospel and you say, but listen, here's what we're not saying, that you need to start cleaning up your life. We're not saying that you need to be a good boy. We're not saying you need to be moral. We're saying that your denial of God is robbing you from life and you need to trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. You need to come to him and acknowledge your sin, acknowledge that you're denying him because of your love of sin and your fear of death and your hatred off him and he'll come change your life, and you get to share the gospel with people. Now, I've shared the gospel with transgenders, with homosexuals, with everybody under the sun, every type of human being. And at the end of this type of conversation, even with homosexuals, you're thinking, how am I going to share the gospel like this with a homosexual? Every single time, I promise you, every time I've done this, they've hugged me. They've said, thank you so much for talking to me about this. Isn't that not the type of thing that you want to have with, a, with people, that you want to have an engaging conversation with someone that'll do it? So very briefly, you don't need to go into all this stuff about metaphysics and ethics and epistemology. You don't need to say the ultimate reference point of predication. You don't need to talk about an infinite regress. I'm just helping you with all that stuff to see it. Here's where you go. What is your opinion of dot, dot, dot? And then they tell you. And then you say, why is that what you believe? And then they'll tell you. And then you just keep digging a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more And then eventually you just say, can I tell you why I believe that? And then you get to tell them why you believe it. And then you ask them, does it make sense? And they say it makes sense. Every time they'll say it makes sense. And then you say, can I tell you why you would choose not to believe that? And they'll let you do that. And then you just tell them, you don't want to believe that because of Romans 1. And then you get to share the gospel. So this is not, I'm not saying that this is like the silver bullet that every single time you get someone on their knees getting saved but usually they want to keep talking. And the, the guys came over last summer and we met a young man with Corby. Remember You guys remember Corby? He's not like gone forever. You remember Corby? Let's have a moment of silence for Corby. Uh, you know Corby. And Corby came over and we were talking to a young man called Gary. And this is the way we talked to him. We talked about this. And we asked him if it was okay to eat babies. And we asked him if, if, a, if, a, if a child with Down syndrome had the same value as a child without Down syndrome. And his answer was, yes, they have the same value. And my question was, well, how can they have the same value? Because that child with Down syndrome is not offering anything into the world. How can you say that about children with Down syndrome? No, I believe they do have value, but I believe they have value. Why? Because God made them in his image. But what do they have? They have atheism. They have nothing. And I said, the only reason that these children have value is because God has given them value. And you have a world of cold, pitiless indifference. So the child has none, but you don't believe that about the world. You believe he does have value so the next day, this guy called Gary, me and Corby met, he phones me, he's like, I cannot stop thinking about this, I couldn't sleep last night thinking about this stuff, we need to meet again, and so we met again, and we talked more about this stuff, and he's like, I don't like you anymore, I don't like you, you've you've, you've messed with my brain, (laughs) and we chatted some more, had like an hour and a half conversation, laughed at him again, and then the next day, he phones me, he's like, man, this is killing me, I need to meet you again, so Corby and I met him, Again, I'm still meeting with him, still meeting with this guy like a year later, still engaging the gospel with him. And, and it's a, he's a hard case because he's so venomously atheist. But every time we meet, this is what he says. He says, everything you say makes sense of the world. Everything you say makes sense of the world. It's not, that's it. The Christian worldview fits. Cinderella's shoe, you know Cinderella's shoe? He went around trying to fit the shoe on everybody and it fit on Cinderella's shoe. Christianity and the world we live in fits. Nothing else does. You have Christ, or you have absurdity, and that's the kind of conversation. Now, I know that's a lot of stuff. This has been, this is like 45 minutes. This is what we teach for like hours and hours and hours, and we sit down, and we talk about this, and you've had to try and listen to all these words, and the person with a funny accent who can't even say beans properly. Um, But I hope it's been helpful in some way. We are going to have questions and stuff like that. I'm here all week as well, so please do come and talk to me, and I will be out in the streets, and you can come and watch me do it, and make a fool of myself um, trying to share this stuff with people from Oklahoma.
0: Okay. So uh, as Alan mentioned, we are going to be on campus this week um, doing what we're calling reach campus. And so we're going uh, every day around the student union and maybe into the dorms, sharing the gospel with people. Um, It was funny because two years ago, the first time we met, I thought, man, this guy would be incredible sharing the gospel on a college campus, and and that just little idea—it's—it's it's amazing to see. Like here we are today, so it's, it's exciting. Um, so what we're going to do now, because that was so much information, I would like to invite you guys. Anyone who just wants to see how does this get put into practice? I know that most of you guys um, aren't students. And maybe you have other obligations, but you guys are welcome to come on campus with us and participate in the things that we're talking about. And uh, if there are things that we might do in the evening someday, uh, we'll, we'll let you guys know and, and you guys can be a part of that. Um, I wanted to let you guys know of something that is happening on campus in the evening that you guys are welcome to come to, and that's a lecture that Alan is giving, which is basically this topic, but our target audience is unbelievers, and the topic is, is Faith rational. And and we have these little cards that say, is faith rational? And we're handing these out on campus. We're promoting it on Facebook. And we're asking unbelievers, is faith rational? If you don't think so, come hear us out. And so um, we would ask that if you do come, please invite an unbeliever. If you can think of someone in your life who is a skeptic, um, invite them to come. And so we have some of these flyers out on the counter. And if you can think of uh, one or two friends that you might invite, please take a flyer and bring them. That's at the Student Union Theater on uh, this coming Friday night. So uh, what we're going to do now is anybody who has questions, you can just use my mic uh, I'll, so I can like walk around or you guys can come up. That would be easier if you guys just came up and I'll hold the microphone and you can have it. And, and if you guys have any questions about what this looks like in actual evangelism or about anything he said, then you just come up and ask. So. Okay, first of all, right on. So... <laughs> This
2: really works well against people who are atheists or professing atheists, which is more common in England. Mm-hmm. But in Oklahoma, in the Bible Belt, generally what you get is, "Well, God just wouldn't do that." Mm-hmm. So, how how do you take your method and?
1: Yep. So, so here, so this method. Um, You just have to learn to start asking questions more than talking. This this is the real key. You need to talk more than you listen. Um, You should be uh, slow to speak and quick to hear. So you want to be asking the right questions. So when someone says, like, I don't believe in a God who would do that, you basically say, according to what standard? So you basically say, God is cruel. Like, if it's maybe, for example, that God would send people to hell, right? And you say, do you think it's cruel for people to be sent to hell? Yeah. Well, what makes it cruel? So you're back in the same conversation again. What makes it cruel for that to happen? What, makes it cruel? what standard is it that it would be cruel for someone to be sent to hell? If, it's not, if God is cruel, who makes God cruel? And so you're still having that type of conversation about moral objectives and the absolutes of it all. Because I've had people who, like I just, I, you know, I'm happy to believe in God, but I can't believe in a God who would send people to hell. And I say, so what, what um, standard do you hold to that says that human beings have such value that you couldn't send them to hell? So, for example... I'm sure you all clean your sink, your kitchen sinks and your toilet and things like that. Maybe, I know some of your students, so it's never been clean for about a year. Um, but now and then, maybe you do, and you, you have Dettol, right? Or what we have is Dettol, what do you have? Like the bleach, 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 you have bleach, right? So uh, spray bleach, basically, and you spray the bleach. Now, in England, in the UK, we have, a, we, the advertisement is probably the same here, kills 99.9% of bacteria, right? Now, that's a good thing, apparently, right? So that's what you want. And uh, after every time you clean your bathroom, no one holds a funeral service for the bacteria, right? So col- you've wiped out millions of bacteria. Colonies of bacteria has been wiped out. You've just, you've just nuked colonies, like nations of bacteria. Granddaddy bacteria, grandmommy bacteria, all dead, right? But you don't care. You're actually, you're, you celebrate that fact. You bought it because it did that, right? And you don't care. So bacteria has no value to us. We, we're like, nah, no thanks. But human life has value. Why? Who, who give us value? And if it's not God, because God's cruel and you don't believe in a God like that, then then where does cruelty come from? Then why, why do we have such value that we shouldn't be in a place called hell? So we, they, they've got, they see how they've, They've missed it. They've completely tried to bring it together and they've missed each other because they've said that they believe in God but not that type of God. But if they believe in that God then they have to believe God's word and they don't. So you have to basically ask what is, what is wrong with being cruel in your worldview and why do human beings have such value that it would be wrong for them to go to hell since bacteria has no... Who places that value upon human beings? Um, but, but if it's more religious people which I know you have in Oklahoma basically I was sharing this earlier Every every human being that you speak to, it's Romans one to four. Romans chapter one, two, three, and four is where you go. If it's an atheist, it's Romans one. If it's a religious person, you can get the Romans two for. You don't have to necessarily go to Romans one. You just go to Romans. Start Romans two. So Romans one for the atheist. If they're religious, you start at Romans two and get your way up to Romans four. Jehovah's Witnesses, Romans four. Mormons, Romans chapter four. Muslims, Romans chapter four. Catholics, Romans chapter four. Every time, Romans chapter, that's, everything I do is Romans 1 to 4 when I'm engaged in the world. Um, and every time it's just been God's word speaking clearly um, into their lives. So I hope that's an answer. If not, I don't know what else to say. So I mean, Lord, we're... <laughs> But thank you very much for your question. Um,
0: here, let's do this. If, if you have a question, why don't we like form a line right here? That way we can just pass on one question to the next. Would that be easier? Or do you, or do you have more comfortable in your seat? I don't know. Does anyone else have a question?
2: Thanks, Alan. In a world where the value of human life is being less and less emphasized, Mm -hmm. so much of your message is placed on values, Mm -hmm. what are you going to do when the value conversation
1: walks away? That's a great question. So your, your job is not to prove what is objectively moral. Your job is to prove that there is such a thing as objective morality. So you're not, the conversation, so one of the big things is it happened in our world right now is abortion, right? It's like everywhere, even in Northern Ar- Ireland, like Ar- it still doesn't really allow it, but it's trying to force its way in. So it's a big topic is abortion. So we can see that the world around us does not place value on, on human life in that sense, right? But that's not the conversation you need to be having with someone. You don't need to be debating whether or not, um, no, maybe in other circles, but in this type of conversation, the, the, the conversation isn't abortion is wrong. The conversation is, what do you believe about abortion? And, and their view is always going to be a value view, right? So either someone places a value on the baby by saying abortion is, um, is wrong and we need to have human life, sanctity of human life. So that's a, that's a value, that's a moral. Or abortion is okay, why? Because of the life of the mother. So the life of the mother has the value, but it's still a value thing. You see that? And when the, fe- the, the third way of feminism that we're living in right now, that's a value system. They're saying that women have value, apparently. Right now they do, but we believe that. But what? Why do? Why do women have value? Who cares? Women? Women are women. Like they're, 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 they're weaker than us. They're, they're less than us. They're dumber. I mean, you, you get anything. Now we don't believe that, but according to their worldview, evolution, the strong survive, all this different stuff. And there's no such thing as value. So you're not trying to prove what your values are. You're trying to prove that they have values, and their values have to come from somewhere. Does that make sense? So if it's the abortion conversation, it's either the baby or the mother, but someone has a value. If it's the, the homosexual va- the conversation, someone still has value. So it doesn't matter what it is. It matters what they're saying. Wanna, you want to listen to what they're saying and to be at that co- conversation. So it, it, in 10 years' time, maybe I'll ask the question, is it okay to eat babies? And maybe, sadly, in 10 years' time, people will actually think it's okay. So then I stop asking that question. I ask a new one. I ask questions like, should, um, maybe I can start asking the question of um, should women be paid the same as men and like, everyone's going to be like yeah, and like, why? why? why is that the case? Now, I believe it's true, but according to what standard do they believe it's true, right? so you're looking for their value system and then you're trying to get to the foundation of their value system um, and showing them that they do believe in objective morality but it has to come from somewhere does that make sense, That's that that's the question? cool
0: so what what does this look like? I mean, if if you're coming up to somebody and you're just a random person, like say we're, we go on campus tomorrow, and you want to initiate this kind of conversation, I mean, how do you get? You already talked about this a little bit, but how do you get the the philosophy and like you're reaching into my bag, get out of my bag? You know, how do you get that conversation rolling? How do you start the conversation? Yeah. How do you get that from? How do you get that from here to the gospel?
1: Okay, so the movement into the gospel then? Yeah, yeah. So this is, like I said, this is all pre-evangelism. So you're just getting them to start listening. And maybe, I'm not saying that this is always the way you have to go, because maybe it's a different conversation with someone. And if someone comes up to you and says, man, what must I do to be saved? You don't go, well, let me start with this. Is it okay to eat a baby? Like, you just like forget all that. You want to go to Romans 4, right? You don't need to go to Romans 1, so stop that. Um, So this is bringing it into sharing the gospel with someone. So you're, you're basically helping them see that the only thing that makes sense of the world is the Christian worldview, and that they know that that's true. And the reason that they're denying God is not because of the lack of evidence, which is the claim of this day. The reason they're denying God is because they love sin. And then you want to help them see that there's a cure to their sin. That the cure is the blood of Christ. So where I would go with this? So I was very quickly um, in Germany. I was sharing the gospel in Germany, and there was a guy who was a masters in physics. So some of you guys are doing like PhDs in math and physics and stuff like this. Now I I know I got an I got an E in physics in school, right? So I know nothing about physics. I literally it was a two-hour exam paper, and I turned the first page and went, nope, no, no, I don't know. So I know nothing about physics, right? I got an E. I I was I failed physics. Um, and this guy's a master's in physics. So he's, I told him I'm a Christian, and he thinks he's going to floor me with his physics. And he's like, Well, you don't understand the big bounce and the big bang, and then the big bounce and the big ad infinim. And then you got the red gamma and the blue gamma and the green gamma and all this stuff. And he's coming off with all this jargon, and it's like, it's just all over my head. I'm, I don't understand a word he's saying. He's, all, he's speaking English, but it's nothing to me. And I, I just said to him, I, just, I was like, Listen, mate, this all sounds pretty impressive, but you don't believe that. He's like, What? yes, I do. I'm like, no, you don't. And this is where I went. I said, you are, let me give you the story. And I shared the story with him. A man goes into his doctors and he's sick and he goes into the doctor and the doctor says, listen, I'm really sorry to tell you this, but we've done the tests and you got six months to live. And the man's like, oh man, that's bad news. Six months to live. And he has two choices at that moment. The first choice is he can say, man, carpe diem, Got a six months to live. I'm going to seize the day. I'm going to go to London. I'm going to go to Ireland. I'm going to visit every. All my, I'm, going to, I'm going to make the most of the six months I got left. And, and then I'm going to die, right? The second option he can do is he says, he looks at the doctor square in the eye and says, You're not a real doctor. The doctor's like, What? I, I've been your doctor for 20 years. you're like, Nah, you're not the real doctor. He's like, Well, what about these certificates? He's like, Nah, they're all fake. You got them from the cereal boxes. Like, No, they're, they're real. Well, like, you're in my office. Nah, it's all fake. And he walks out the door, right? Now, does that change reality? Does, does it all of a sudden now he has like 20 years to live? No, it doesn't change reality. He's denying the doctor because he wants to deny the the, the diagnosis, right? And, I, and then I, then the problem is though, that, that doctor was the only one who had the cure, but he didn't stay long enough to hear the cure. Okay, he he walked away before he got to the cure, and he left, and so he has six months to live, denying the doctor's existence. And I said to this young guy who's a PhD phys, physician, said, "Does that make sense?" that he would do that? He's like, no, he's an idiot. I said, good, right, so let's, that's you? You're that guy? He's like, what? I'm like, okay, so you know that God exists, and you know that the wages of sin is death. Knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, Romans one thirty two. You know this, but you don't want to face that reality. So you would rather live like he's not true and walk away. But the problem is, in denying God, so that you can deny his diagnosis, You've also denied yourself of the cure, the blood of Jesus Christ that takes away all sin. And this is what the PhD physician master's guy said to me. You're the smartest man I've ever met. And I'm like, wow, well, thank you very much. I mean, from a master's <laughs> physician saying that to me. So, but it wasn't because it was knowledgeable. It's because that's the wisdom of God. This is the gospel message. And it makes sense to the world when we, when we speak their language, and we speak it into them. So that's usually where I go, as I'll explain um, why they're denying it, and the consequences of denying it, and then how they're, they're, they've removed themselves from the gospel, and the consequences of that are severe, but Jesus Christ can change your life. So that's, I would, I would, I would argue, there is moral objectives, and this is why you're denying those things, but here's the consequences of doing that, and then bringing the gospel at the end. I said very quickly, and I, I spent forever, so that's an Irish thing to do, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> anybody Anybody else? Yeah? Okay, great.
2: Um, so I talked to an atheist pretty recently with a friend. And so my f- was my friend asking him questions. He was kind of trying to get into showing him that he did have objective morality. And so he asked, like, is it okay to steal? And he said, it's not good or bad, but... Um, Like we have morality, it's all in our mind, though, Mm -hmm. because it's beneficial to us Mm -hmm. as animals to live in a society where we don't steal. Mm -hmm.
1: Um, So where do you go? Where do you go with that? Yeah. So you you, again. So your 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 responsibility, your job in this conversation is not to find out. Is not to prove to him your objective morality. It's to, it's to hear what his is, because everyone has one. Everyone has objective morality. Um, they just say they don't. But then once you start fishing for it, they'll finally come up with something that's objectively true to them. So this is, no, it's wrong to do this. So sometimes, so I, I met a nihilist guy who was like, there's no such thing as truth, right? There's no such thing as right or wrong. And we had a debate for about 20 minutes. And I said to him, okay, so if there's no such thing as right or wrong or true or false or anything like that, can I win this debate by punching you in the face? Would that be all right? He's like, no. I'm like, well, why not? There's no rules. He's like, no, you would, you would not win this argument. You would not win this argument. I'm like, well, I mean, who made the rules to this argument? You don't make any sense. Like, I punch you in the head, I win. And I walk away, the winner. He's like, no, you don't. And um, so then he was saying that there's no such thing as objective truth, absolute truth. So I asked him, this is, I mean, this is like, I mean, this is child's play. So he says, there's no such thing as absolute truth. And I asked him, is that absolutely true? And he said, uh, yeah. I'm like, so it's absolutely true that there's no absolute truth. He's like, yeah, but that's the only one. That's the only absolute truth. I'm like, well, is that true too, though? Is it, is it absolutely true that that's the only absolute truth? He's like, yes. I'm like, well, that's two absolute truths in a world of no absolute truths. And he's like, no, but that's it, though. I'm like, okay, so is that true, though? Is that true, though, that those two are the only truths? He's like, I'm not answering your questions anymore. And then I was like, well, the reason you don't want to is because you know your arguments are ridiculous. So when they're saying that the beneficial of society, what, why should society benefit? Why, should, why does human life need to continue? Does human life have value? Why, why do we continue to exist? Like, what's, what's all right with that? So you just want to learn to see where they're coming from, what their objective truth or their objective morality is, what they hold up and then you get into that one so you don't know, need to talk to them about lying because they don't believe in that so that's fine just leave that one and and fish about what they do so just ask questions and that's why i was well that's not that one but that's why you should just read the news before you go out and just see what's happening in the news and then just go out and. hey man did you hear about what happened there and he's like yeah i heard and you're like what do you think everyone has an opinion about whether or not donald trump should build a wall right Right? Everyone in this room has an opinion about that. Maybe the little baby doesn't have an opinion right now. Like, he's like, it's wrong. But every one of you has an opinion on that. Okay? And everyone, ha- everyone out there has one too, and you just want to learn to talk to them about that. So the whole idea of the beneficial benefit in the human society, why is, it a good, is it a good thing that society would continue to go on? And he'll say yes or no. And that yes or no is basically his, his morality as well. So you just, just learn to keep asking the questions, keep fishing, and don't try and prove your views. Just listen to what his are. I hope that answers the question a little bit.
0: To speak to that, um, so we, I, I talked to this guy who was um, in OSU ROTC, and he he, denied, he said the same thing. He's like, um, you know, it's okay to eat babies, but like, you know, I'm armed with this Romans 1 thing that he doesn't, he doesn't believe that at all. He's lying to me. You know? So all I have to do is find the thing that he thinks is wrong. And um, I kept pressing, well, what about this? What about this? And finally, I, I asked him, I was like, okay, so you're an ROTC. What if, what if I lied about something you did? Let, let's say we're both in the army, okay? And I lied about something that you did in order to get you dishonorably discharged, and then I get the promotion instead of you, and you're out on the streets, you can't get a job. And he was like, well, that's wrong. You can't do that. And, and I was like, I was like, well, why is it wrong? Who cares? It's survival of the fittest. Like, I, I did what it took to survive. And he's like, no, 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 you, th- there are rules. You can't do that. And I was like, who cares, man? Like, it's, it's not a big deal. Like, I'll just do whatever it takes. And he got mad at me. And he was like, well, what about rape? And I was like, what, what about it? I mean, it's just whoever's stronger, right? And he was like, no, no, no. That, that's why they have prisons, because it's wrong. And he's arguing about morality to me. And <laughs> I finally just looked at him and I was like, exactly. And And so... Uh, it, once you can find, there's, everyone has a conviction about something, and so, so does your friend, you know, and it's just a question of what, where is that, um, and, and also, the, you know, this thing about, like, the local news, I mean, especially here in Stillwater, we've had so many tragedies, unfortunately, but there are many opportunities, I mean, we, had, we do the Remember the Ten Run, and you can drive past the, the Stillwater Strong Memorial every time you go up Main and Hall of Fame, and those are opportunities to talk about, like, man, wasn't that awful?
1: And, and that's your, your end right there. Because so. mm. one of the hardest things is to start the conversation, right? The hardest thing in the world is to say the first, hey, can I speak to you for five minutes? Like that, for me, that's the thing that terrifies me. Like I, I'm like, everything within me is like, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And then once I've said it, I'm, I'm having a good time. So if you can learn, this is why the pre-evangelism is helpful because you're not starting with, can I ask you five minutes, um, are you saved? Because I mean, that's really I can't do that. Maybe some of you can. Maybe some of you guys are way more outgoing than me, and you can just be like, "Are you born again?" and you can just start there. I can't, so I start back here because it gets them interested, and they don't know where I'm going, but they're really intrigued with where I'm going. And then by the time they realize it's a gospel conversation, they're trapped. They're they're in it, and they actually want to get to the end because they're enjoying what's happening. So that's why. That's why we. So I mean, if you said to someone, "Hey, did you see? Because it's a new monument, isn't it? That monument they built. Hey, man, did you see the new monument they built? Yeah. And you're like, isn't that tragedy what happened?" yeah, it's just tragic, what do you think that makes like, the loss of human life such a tragedy? And then they're just talking, they're just sharing with you, and you're just having a conversation, it's going to lead somewhere, but they don't have a clue uh, where you're going right now, so, yeah.
0: And speaking, I mean, I get the butterflies. I actually always tell people, um, I really don't like evangelism, I'm just called to do it. Um, and so, Ephesians 6.20 is a really big comfort for me. Uh, Paul says, when writing at the end of his letter to the Ephesians, he says, pray on my behalf, that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. So basically, Paul's praying. He's asking them, pray for me that I would speak boldly as I ought to because I I really don't want to. And and I I drew a little butterfly next to that and wrote, Paul gets the butterflies. And that that gives me comfort because so do I. Any other questions? Yeah. So... Yeah. So the question is, how? What's the effectiveness of this method of evangelism when Alan's talking to people mm-hmm. and the follow-up even years later?
1: Yeah. So in England, it's much slower. Like uh, they call. I mean, someone said about to Americans, like, don't come to England because nothing happens. There. There's no fruit, and it's not that there's no fruit. It just takes a lot of time for the fruit to come. It's it just takes. It takes a bit longer than going somewhere else and where they've never heard it before. It's because you're you're trying to undo a lot of what's been done a lot of their preconceptions about Christianity you're doing you're undoing a lot of this thing as well so it takes a lot more time but we you know we have seen numbers of people come to Christ um, from this background from atheist backgrounds people um, who professed atheism and and get deceived so the, the rate slow like we don't I mean for like having this size of church with people filled this is like a mega church in England this is like I mean this doesn't happen this is huge you know um, if it's filled right now so um, it's, it's slower, but we're seeing people come to Christ and people being challenged and uh, under conviction and, and really exploring these things. Um, my transgender friend uh, who I've talked to, I've shared, I've shared all this with her, and she gets it. She knows it's true, but it's just taking her time to, to come to it. But it's been a year of talking to her as well, and, uh, and it's tough. It's harder, but you're undoing a lot of the baggage of legalism and moralism and religiosity before you get right into the core of it. So we, we have seen fruit, we're seeing people come through to Christ, but it's not that this method works, it's, this, is, this, this is the way to get into the sharing the gospel, and the gospel is the thing that works, so you know what I mean? So you just get to the gospel, <laughs> it's the power of God and the salvation, not this stuff, this is just the way to get to it. So is the gospel effective? Absolutely.
0: <laughs> okay, so uh, I guess I have two questions. One, get out of here, Um. Have you ever just straight up had a conversation totally plateau? And how do you handle that? Or yeah. is there a time to stop and move on? Okay. And then also, um, you know, I'm thinking about especially the UK. You know, I'm not. I'm gonna be there just a couple of days. Or us at the union. We never know if we're gonna run into these people again or not. How do
1: you close a conversation? Okay, uh, Okay. so two good questions. So uh, number one, uh, have I ever had a plateau? Yes, uh, quite often I have plateaus. And what I do is I go home and cry in the corner. And then five minutes later, no, I don't really, but um, I, I just, I think about it. I, I sit down and I analyze how the conversation went and what I could have done better. So why did it not work? So how do I fix what happened? So basically what I'm teaching today uh this evening is me having tried to share the gospel for like the last 10 years and getting it wrong a lot and then basically trying to find new ways to share the gospel and help and and try to reach the postmodern world and how to really engage the conversation not doing it very well and then trying to fix it and trying to really get get it the right presentation and stuff like that um, so you yeah, have plateaus and you just go home and think oh, how could I do that better next time um, and then is there a time to walk away? Yeah, when it's, just, when it's just not happening. Just like, hey, listen, it's been really good talking with you. Um, I'd love to talk again sometime. Um, if I see you around here's my mobile. We can get in touch if you, if you want to talk, but there are times to just leave it. Um, I mean, you, sometimes you walk into crazy people, and they just won't stop talking. You just have to like, be like, hey, I got to shoot on here. Um, and your second one was, if you knew you're not going to see them again, how do you close it? So I have never, and I don't, know, like, I, I don't know what the culture is at this church and stuff like that, so I'm not saying this is the wrong way to do it, but I've never said... Pray after me. I, I've never done that. I, I I don't like to do that because for me it's like if someone has like I know had an affair with their wife or something like that, and then and then I come with my friend and I'm like, okay, so repeat after me. I Mark. I Mark. I'm really sorry for having an affair. I'm really sorry for having an affair. It's just not real, you know. I, for me anyway, I just don't think it's real. But that, I mean, it can it can work in different cultures in different ways. In England, it's not the same culture. So the way I close it is is I say to them, listen. So I've shared the gospel, and I say, listen, if, if none of this is true, if all I'm saying is just is just make no sense, if it's not true, it's been five minutes of your time. Sure sure, what? You're going to be playing on the Xbox later anyway for five minutes. You're going to waste your time anyway. But if what I'm telling you is true, this is the most important conversation you've ever had in your life, and you really need to think about it. So please get in touch sometime and, and talk some more. Tell them to get hold of a Bible and you know give them my number to, to contact me. So that's the way I close it, because because God saves, not me, and the Holy Spirit convicts, not me, and I have to trust them over to God. Have, I've, my responsibility, I'm a success if I share the gospel faithfully, not if I see people come to Christ. Um, God's the one who saves, not me. So I, I just share the gospel, give them, help them to see how serious it is to think about it, and then just trust it over to God. So Maybe there's different ways to do it, I know, but that's, what I, that's how I do it, so.
2: Alan, one of those that, um, you said they're unpacking what they've experienced with Christianity. Those that say, I've seen your absolute truth. I've, I've seen, um, your objective morality. I've seen what you've done with that as a Christian. I don't want any part of that.
1: Mm. Like, what, what do you mean? Like, keep, keep well, throughout you know, history,
2: what, what yeah. people have done on behalf of Christianity, that is yeah. not the true gospel.
1: Okay. Yeah. yeah. And yeah.
2: they said, that's what I know of Christianity. Yeah. What makes what you're selling me any different? Yeah.
1: That's a, see, that's a perfect question. And, and what you have to learn is that almost every question they ask is them exposing that they know God's true. Every question is on your side. Everything, they, everything that comes out of your mouth, out of their mouth is on your side. And when you learn to think like that, like, just come on, say something, because you're proven to me that you know God exists. So when they say everything about your objective reality is rubbish because of all the things that have happened, you just simply say, well, what's wrong with all the things that have happened? in your worldview, What's wrong with the crusades? What's wrong with genocide? Because they're, they're basically saying that the crusades are wrong and the genocide's wrong and all these things are wrong. Well, according to what worldview, is it wrong? So they, they're still saying there's objective value. You, you, you see what that... So they're still saying it and you're like, well, why are you saying that? Like, According to what standard is it wrong to have genocide? According to what standard is it wrong to have crusades? And they'll either say, well, God or not. And if they say God, then you say, okay, so God is good and he doesn't want genocide, right? Right. So what they did was wrong then, wasn't it? Yes. So then they weren't living the true Christian life, were they? No. Okay. But if they say, well, it's not God, then you're back to square one. So what gives you objective foundations? Where I go with that sometimes is I say, um, if I have a $5, well, I say pounds, but if I have a $5 note and it's, and it's a forgery, it, does that prove that there's no such thing as a real $5 note? And they're like, well, no, there's, of course there's real $5. I'm like, okay, so just because there's a forgery doesn't mean there's no such thing as the true one, right? Yeah, okay, so there's, there's forgery Christians, there's forgery Christianity, there's, there's false stuff. But that doesn't mean there's no such thing as the true one. So that's where I would tend to go with that type of conversation. But they said it, and the, their question proves the point that, that they believe there's such a thing as objective morality. So. All
0: right, let's do a couple more.
1: Anybody else have a question? Okay, so what do you do when you
2: have one go? I'm not saying it's wrong or right, but I'm saying is according to your worldview, it should be wrong. Mm-hmm. Like, according to what you say God is like, He shouldn't be doing such and such, mm-hmm. like flooding the world or yeah. whatever.
1: So yeah, so Lane, so they're saying yeah they're. Putting it back on you. Yeah, yeah. So what they've done in that moment is they've turned a spotlight on you, mm. and then you just turn it right back on them again. So you just ask, well, is it wrong to lie? So you, you just need to turn it back. You know, if they're so- say,
2: well, according to your worldview. Yeah, view,
1: yeah, wrong. it is wrong to lie, that's it, yeah. So then what, what are they going to go with? Like, what, what's your, where are you thinking they're going to go?
2: Well, like the, they say, what, what they're trying to do is prove to you that what you say is right or wrong is mm-hmm. not what your God is doing. Like, your God says yep. it is wrong to kill, yet your God kills.
1: Okay, okay, yeah, I hear you, I yeah, hear you. That's good, all right. So one of the ones that they'll say, one of the conversations you'll hear is they'll say religion is the cause of all wars. Mm-hmm. Now, you have two places to go with that. You can prove that it's not the cause of all wars, uh, which is true. It's not the cause of all wars. And you can, or you can say, well, what's wrong with war? Right? What's wrong with with uh, what happened when when God came in with the, with the Jews and wiped out Canaan? Right. So God commanded that Canaan would be wiped out. Right. So number one, well, here's what actually happened, and number two, why would that be wrong? If if this is the thing that happened, why would that be wrong? It's just where you want to go? So so usually what they're doing is they're, they're, they've misunderstood what's actually happened in Scripture. It's usually their claim is a misunderstanding. When they say something like that, they've just totally misunderstood what actually took place. Okay. So you explain to them what they've misunderstood, and then you ask them, So, but if, if what you said was actually true, why would that be wrong? So you just go back into that conversation again. So you just go right back into it again. So religion is the cause of all wars, for example. Okay, well, it's not because Stalin wasn't religious and Hitler wasn't religious, and that was devastation of people getting wiped out. Um, but if religion was the cause of all wars, what's wrong with war? And then you're going back into the conversation. So they're, by, by them saying those things, they're still making moral claims and you still just want to turn it right back on them again. That's, that's the easiest way, just to turn it right back eventually. Okay, cool.
0: Um, so <clears throat> I think this is really important stuff because, Marty, you said at the beginning, you were like, well, you know, here in Oklahoma, there are a lot of people who are more on the fence, and that's true. But um, one of the things that, that I experience being on a college campus is that this worldview that is entrenched in Europe is already here, it's, it's just bubbling up. So some of, some of you who may have gone to college 30 years ago or, or whatever, um, maybe you didn't experience it as much then, but I, I promise you that the majority of the students that we interact with on campus are, are steeped in this worldview. And so uh, that's why we've invited him to come and that's why we invite you to take part because if we don't have an answer to these questions, then we're not gonna be able to effectively share the gospel. And it's, it's coming, it's already here. It's, it's out in California, it's in New York, and it's coming here. It's just a matter of time. And so we wanna be ready to give an answer for the hope that we have. So um, thank you guys so much for coming. We have some lovely ladies in the college ministry who have been preparing tea and cookies for you. Um, we thought that would be proper given our guests, so uh, <laughs> we, we have it over in the kitchen, we'll just open up the window, and then anybody who would like to stay after and just, um, we'll be out in the lobby or, or wherever, and you guys can just uh, enjoy and maybe talk one-on-one with Alan or in a groups or, or whatever, and just enjoy each other's time, so thank you guys so much for coming, and uh, let's just thank Alan for being here and for teaching us.